Welcome to Converge, a podcast from Common Ground Northeast. I'm Flora Skidmore. And I'm Neil Miller. And today our guest is Judge Jeffrey Gaither. Judge Gaither was born and raised in Indianapolis. Uh, he has three adult children, has been married 32 years now to an attorney. Judge Gaither is a 2020 appointment to the Marion County Supreme Court bench. He is a judge in the Family Division Court, primarily in juvenile issues. Judge Gaither, we're thrilled to have you here today. Thank you for blessing us with your time. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the invitation. And I need to make, make a gentle correction. Yeah, please. It's the Superior Court and not the Supreme Court. It is a, <laughs> that is a major difference. That is a, that's I, I an read aspirational that goal. But thank you for putting it out there. Because uh, who I knows? Think, you know, who knows? Who hey, knows? you speak it into you life, know. right? You just never know. That's right. You have to speak things into existence. So you just oh, there never you go. know. That was prophetic. Life I will take. That was prophetic. I appreciate it. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Judge. Thank um, you for having me. Yes, ma'am. I, I want to start by just uh, diving a little bit deeper into your background. You you grew up uh -huh. in Indianapolis. Tell us what that experience was like, um, specifically you being a member, a POC, a member of the African-American community. Yeah. Well, let me just say this. Uh, right now, even as we see, uh, speak, I'm sitting in my office on uh, the corner of 25th and Keystone. Um, to my right, about 300 feet, is the grade school that I went to from kindergarten to eighth grade. Because I grew up about, I don't know, eight blocks from here on, on a street named Sangster. Wow. And um, so for nine years, including kindergarten, not that they helped me back, I walked <laughs> from home to school every day for nine years. And I walked past this building that I'm currently uh, in the office of. And mm. um, right behind here, my brother and I used to hunt for snakes and things like that. And uh, uh, I used to ride my bike all around here. I'm looking at a church's chicken. That was the first place my uh, brother got, a, got his first job. Um, and to the left a little more, there's a gas station, it's a shell. But many years ago, it was a standard, standard oil gas station. And that was the first place that um, I tried to steal a soda pop from. And full disclosure, but the, the uh, statute of limitations has passed now. So I can. <laughs> what I was trying to do is uh, I got a bottle cap and no, a pool tab. And back in those days, I'm talking about days before. No, that, that's dating yourself there, Jeff. Yeah, you could put a, 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 a pool top into a soda machine and if you hit it just right you'd get a soda <laughs> and um so i was trying that and uh mr hampton who was the who was the uh, gas station owner uh i think he knew what i was up to and he gave me the soda but uh mrs hampton his mean wife uh fussed at him the whole way fast forward um um their granddaughter is now the wife of one of my best friends. So we've come full circle. And um, her name is um, Sandra Gunnell, whose husband is the bass player for, for uh, John Mellencamp. So wow, there's a lot, there's a lot there. So wow, talk about hyper local. Yeah, how about <laughs> that? So, you know, so, so every day I come to work, it's like coming home, yeah. you know, because this is, you know, as they say, this is my hood. This is, you know, uh, I spent from, I was born in 1957, and, and, and so I spent 
so we lived in that house till I till 1973. Then we moved on the west side into my um, grandmother's house after my grandparents had passed away. So this is my neighborhood. When I come home, <laughs> when I come to work, it's like coming home, and um, I feel a sense of um, ownership, um, entitlement, uh, power. Because every day I look at the school and I can see, because uh, the, the bottom floor is where the cafeteria was. And the, I can see Miss Watkins' class, which is where I was for second and third grade, Mrs. Turner's class, for fourth grade, and uh, Mrs. Mendenhall. You know, I, I remember all my teachers. And um, I, because those days where you go to school, in one school for that period of time, those are, days are gone. You know, my own kids, have, you, you know, they've been to three or four different schools, but I went to one school for nine years and I walked to school with the same set of friends every day of those, of those, um, of those years. And so those kinds of relationships, we had a very strong uh, community. And uh, I now know that, was, that that time was more special than I believed or thought because all of my friends uh, came from two-parent homes. All of my friends had mother and father married to each other and lived in the same home. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and um, I grew up in a, uh, they, they're basically three bedrooms on a concrete slab, um, but it was certainly room enough. And um, I now know statistically how unusual that is. And we took that for granted. At, at my school, which is uh, School 37, also known as Hazel Hart Hendricks, um, it was uh, predominantly black. And uh, I, I didn't get a white teacher until mm, sixth, sixth grade, Mr. Loy. He was a horrible teacher, by the way, but nevertheless, I had nothing to do, <laughs> nothing to do with his ethnic origin. He was just, he was just a lazy man, I mean, and... Uh, uh, and that's when busing began and, and things of that nature. So um, all of my teachers uh, were, uh, uh, for the most part, were master's level and some of them had PhDs because, I mean, there weren't a lot of educational opportunities for teachers. Uh, just like, uh, like, like uh, many of the teachers at Crispus Attics for years we're all PhD level and, and that school, the environment itself was much like a historical, historically black college because they could not go anywhere else to learn. So they all congregated in one particular school. Mm -hmm. well, school 37 was very similar to that. I mean, we had over qualified, overeducated teachers. Um, and so many things went over there that we took for granted that, um, uh, that, I wasn't, that, that I had no conscience of until I went away from that. And one of those was the the nurturing um, atmosphere, um, teachers who cared. Um, now, my own mother uh, was a teacher herself, so she knew all the teachers at the school and all the teachers at the school knew my mother mm. and, and knew me. So uh, that was an advantage slash and disadvantage because <laughs> when, when things didn't go well, well, you know, first they do is calling Olivia Gaither. Yep, so. Yep. News traveled very fast, and so, but I was, but I was, but I was a good student, and uh, I was also a school nerd in the sense that I love, and still do, loved school, and so I'm continuing looking for uh, educational opportunities, which is primarily why I really accepted this opportunity. I'm, I'm, 
I'm on a journey to learn. Yeah. And mm. uh, even when I was in law school, I was one of those. Uh, I was a gunner. You know, I uh, seat one, row A. You know, raised my <laughs> hand, and, and I was all about it. Um, and I wasn't always that way, but sort of when I bust out of my bubble and I came into my own. So uh, yeah. Um, and so here I am, you know, and uh, on this journey. And it's great to have you. And we want to know like what it's like for you after having grown up in, in that environment to be in the same environment, but now as a judge, uh, um, now you see things, um, sometimes you get to see things maybe at the best or also at the worst of what's going on in your own community. Uh, what's that journey been like for you? It's, uh, it's happy, sad, um, uh, because the more you know, the yeah. more you know. Um, ignorance is truly bliss, you know, and, um, but knowledge creates obligation, uh, create, creates a moral obligation and responsibility, um, if you will. And so now that, now that I, I'm in this position and I can see uh, the sins of excess and the sins of absence, I, I can see how that has damaged uh, our community speaking of the black community, I can see how the absence of fathers and, and, and how that has, has devastated and ravaged our community. And um, the, uh, the kids that come in front of me uh, that don't have positive role, uh, role models in their lives. And just earlier today, I was walking out of the building, going to the car with my oldest son who's studying for the bar and uh, one of the kids that I have in front of me says, hey, there goes my judge. I mean, he was, ex he was excited to see me. Now, I enjoy seeing the kids as well, but, I, you know, it, it saddens me just a little bit, first, that he has a judge in his life. Yeah. Thank God it's me, but that he's excited to see me. Now, you shouldn't be excited to see the judge, but... Yeah. You know, I I um, I do my best to provide a mentoring. I'm in juvenile court. I should have said uh, my my so my current assignment is juvenile court. We call it family division. Um, I do my best to mentor to these kids. Um, um, uh, we don't need to punish them, and that's no longer part of our philosophy. We try to find ways to keep kids out of the system. Uh, we um, uh, consequences, yes, but consequences that provide fulfillment to their lives and what's missing. And I can tell you what's really missing. And here's, I need a drum roll, drum roll. Uh, here, is, here is the secret. If we could get boys and girls to grow up to be men and women who then become husband and wives, before they become mothers and fathers. And if we could stay committed, a significant portion of our problems will dissolve. Um, I have almost no children on my docket that come from a two parent committed household. It just doesn't happen. You get one, a kid may come in one time, but he does not come back. Our lack of a better term, frequent flyers, 99.9% .9 of them come from homes with one parent. Um, 
and it has to be the biological parent. Step parents, still not good enough. But when biological mother and biological father are married to each other in the same home, that child is not in the system. That child does not, it does not come through. And we can talk about why. I mean, a number of reasons, one reason why marriage is so good. You, you have twice the resources, twice the hands, twice everything uh, necessary to provide for the child. Single parents, God love them, but, but you are challenged in, in how and what you can provide. And pretty soon, uh, let's, let's put this in parentheses, the devil or some other negative force um, or some other irresponsible, inappropriate thing uh, will attract your child's attention and you've lost. Hmm. Uh, because as your child grows, they begin to spend more and more and more time away from you. So like by the time they get to school, half of their day is with someone else that you are not able to influence. So if you do not have a good uh, track record from like age zero from, from birth to three, you have lost. It, it, so zero to three is the most important time in a child's life. And so if you do not have the extra resources necessary to impose your will, uh, for lack of a better term, on your child, you are setting yourself and your child up for, for um, years of heartache. Now, of course, see, there are many, many exceptions, but I'm sure. talking about in the main. And so, um, uh, so you know, we, we have a problem in this community and others about babies, having babies. And let me broach another subject, killing babies. Um, I mean, mm. the, the rash of, of homicides is through the roof. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, there's an analogy about it may have been the St. Louis Zoo or maybe San Diego Zoo where for whatever reason they they took the baby elephants out and, and put them in another part of the zoo mm -hmm. um, and then they ran amok they tore up half the zoo and someone said okay let's put them back because the baby elephants didn't know that they were elephants and didn't know how to be elephants so they had to put them back with the elephants so the adult elephants to show them how to, how to act well I mean, make the analogy uh, to our children in the community today. Without the stability of a father in a home, they don't know how to. Act. They don't know how to be adults. They don't know how to treat women. They don't know how to treat themselves. Um, conflict resolution. Uh, I'm not going to blame everything on video games and um, uh, you know, videos, rap videos. I mean, yeah, I guess art imitates life, and life imitates art. Something, but. It's zero to three at home. And if you don't properly raise your child and teach discipline, because there's nobody who is successful that does not have self-discipline. You have to be able to discipline yourself. What do you do when no one is looking? What do you do in the dark when no one knows what you, that's, that's who you truly are? I mean, that's your real character. And so if you're unable to discipline yourself, and uh, how will you ever achieve, achieve greatness, you know, however you define uh, greatness, uh, success and failure are options to be chosen. Hmm. I mean, you can choose success just like you can choose failure for driving down the street at 90 miles, 90 miles an hour. You're choosing failure, you know, 
obeying their traffic laws and, and hands both hands on the wheel, that's how you choose success. I mean, it's nothing, nothing more complicated uh, than that. Um, so, uh, boy, you really got me rambling. I forgot what the original question was. <laughs> it's okay. Now I've learned something about myself. I'll be judged by what I do in the dark. I probably need to stop paying for Netflix then because ah, all that binge ah, ah, ah. will get me in trouble. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, you, you've kind of touched upon, uh, the ways I feel like you bring your faith into your current role in the community. Yeah, I, I do. You know, yeah. That. Earlier, uh, well, we had asked you some questions. You shared that your testimony is one of awakening to the struggle of being black in, uh, America. And, uh, I, I'm just wondering what role does your spirituality play in the job that you do yeah. right now, like every day and also um, the role that you play in, in as a member of the body of Christ? Man. Well, um, as a matter of law, uh, and the separation of church and state, so uh, I cannot bring uh, faith into court. Okay. And I don't know if that's my, uh, that's my charge uh, if you will, anyway, um, uh, this, uh, this, this whole thing about race, whew, man, um, it, it, the older I get, the, the more difficult it, it becomes because the, the more, you know, the more, you know, the more, you know, and then as a father, I have three boys. Well, they're all men now, age 30, age 25 and 21. Uh, and not a day, not a minute, minute goes by when I don't, <laughs> where I'm, I'm just concerned about the future and the welfare. I know that they will be fine. Uh, but my love and concern for them as a father, I mean, you know, knows, I mean, it is, it's endless. Um, I mean, you, you can see where we are right now in terms of, of race. I mean, the the, the, the term de jour is, you know, critical race theory. And I, I can see how uh, race has impacted uh, my life. And I, I, I think about my father who, uh, my father, okay, here's one of the interesting facts. My father is a year older than my mother. They both passed away, by the way. So my, my dad was born in October, 1932, and mother was born in February, 33. So they were separated about a couple months. Now, my mother graduated from high school the same year my dad graduated from grade school. Wow. Wow. And uh, so mom was super smart. Yeah. Uh, dad, not so much. <laughs> but dad was smart enough to hook up with, with a smart woman. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I get something going for that. Uh, but but dad, dad was from Kentucky and and uh, his father died in a, in a coal mine explosion. Oh, here's a, here's a footnote to that. Uh, his father, which would have been my grandfather, died in a coal mine explosion in Kentucky. Uh, uh, was it Hopkinsville? Uh, uh, not Hopkinsville. Yes, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, 1937 or something like that. And so I actually have the newspaper article around here somewhere where they list all the men that died in the coal mine explosion. Mm -hmm. 
but they list the, the people who were, they list, they listed the white men first in one paragraph. Then the next paragraph, they listed the, the, the black men who had died. And I always struck with that, like, wow, even in death, hmm. your, your hatred for black people is so strong, you can't even mention them in the same paragraph. Wow. I'm you know, honestly actually surprised that they were listed at all. Well, then there's that, you know, because, you know, and, and, and I get, you know, I'll accept that because there would have been a time when they would not have been mentioned at all, or even that perhaps that was just their first name. So, you know, props, props for that, you know, for that. I never thought about that. I, I thought, I, you know, for, but the lens that I had said, wow, even in death, you can't, you can't be more, more forgiving, but nevertheless, um, uh, so, so you know, dad, uh, uh, dad struggled in school, and um, and after he graduated from uh, grade school, I think he went to cathedral for a year or some kind of a sports thing. Didn't really work out. End up going to the army, and he used to talk about. That's the point. Of, he used to talk about positions he wanted that were not available to him because mm-hmm. he was black. I mean, this is when he was in the army. And so he'd spent some time in Switzerland and because uh, I have these pictures of him when he was in the army in Germany and in Switzerland and whatnot. He wanted to do these things and, and back at this time. So this would have been um, right before Korea. So this would have been 40s and 50s. And that's mm-hmm. when he was, he was in the service. And that time, you know, race was, was a problem as if it's not a problem now, but I mean, it was even more overtly a problem. Yeah. 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 So he was denied uh, many opportunities. He just, he just, he wanted to drive an ambulance. They wouldn't let him do that. He wanted to do these things. So he ended up, end up uh, being a movie check, movie projector operator. And from that, he became a uh, professional photographer. So I mean, he made lemon. He made lim- he made lemonade out of it, and, and that's how that's how he made his living. When he uh, he uh, we had a studio in the basement, and I learned how to you know how to uh, process uh, photographs and develop negatives and whatnot. I mean, so it's very cool. You know, my my all my friends thought it was the coolest thing, and it was. It is cool. Was he a so, man of faith? Uh, no. No, and then how did you come to know about Christ? Uh, I read a lot. My, mo- my mother was a really smart lady. And all she did was read. And I, I, you know, I am the product of my mother and my father. I did a lot of reading. And I read early. And uh, I read the Bible a lot. And uh, I was just fascinated. First, I came to Christ fascinated by the stories, you know, of the parables and, and all of the stories, you know, Daniel, the lion's den and um, Ezekiel, saw the wheel, all of that, Pharaoh. I mean, just, um, and, and, you know, the Bible, you know, is chock full of stories of, of uh, struggle and determination and salvation and success and failure and, and all of that. Um, and uh, it just sort of grew, you know. I, I can't say uh, that I don't believe there's any point in my life where there was an epiphany, um, and that's why I called it a journey. You know, it. Um, uh, I didn't wake up one day and say, "Aha!" It, it's 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 it has been a process, and it, and it is a continues to be a process, and 
in many respects, I mean, I, I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it has been for me. Uh, early, I mean, certainly there was a period of my life when I had a lot of questions because mm. of, about even the existence of the Lord. Um, because, uh, I mean, if you, I mean, you know, scientifically and astronomy and this, you know, and, and you know, facts and versus reason or, or belief versus facts and that, that whole bit. And so uh, uh, I, I can't say a point to any one particular time, but I just, you know, I choose to believe. And uh, do you, how does that choice affect your everyday life when you are in the courts, like running yeah. kids through hearings? Like, is, is that choice a daily reminder like does it inform your mission and your profession in any way I, I pray for and about the kids that I see uh, because some of them come from some terrific circumstances the trauma that they have uh, experienced is uh, incredible I mean just uh, uh, I, I don't even know how they did it um, you know, my wife and I have three boys and uh, we have struggled mightily to raise them. I don't know how some of these parents are able to get through the day. And, and so I pray for them. Uh, I, play, I pray about them. And, uh, and I pray sometimes between hearings, not openly, but, you know, I take a moment, you know, I have a, I have a Bible on my bench. Um, and uh, um, I mean, just the, uh, I know these children have great resilience. Uh, I asked for the intervention of the Lord mm. uh, for these children and families because of the circumstances that they find themselves in. Mm. And um, I mean, some of the kids, Lord have mercy. You just, I mean, you, you would not believe what I hear and what I see on a daily basis it is, uh, I mean, there, there's a whole world out here of where, whew, wow, I mean, just, just wow. I mean, early this year, we had a young man who, who killed his entire family, okay? He, he, he killed his entire family. He took a, a machine pistol. It's called a Draco. And he killed everybody in his family, his mother, his father, his brothers and a sister, his brother's baby. Um, and he was only 17 years old and he had never been in trouble before. That speaks to me of a mental health issue. Well, yes, it, it, you know, nice segue. Um, juvenile mental health, uh, is, it, it, it might be the worst thing ever. And, uh, we don't do anything. Well, it's not true to say we don't do anything about it. Um, but the, the amount of focus on juvenile mental health is, um, is shameful. And no, let me, I need another side note because I'm, I'm working on, not using the term juvenile. And I think I've said it three or four times already. I'm trying to purposefully say <laughs> youth. Hey, because progress, words, not perfection. Yes, it's the journey because words matter. 
you know, so I, you know, so I'm in juvenile court, but we practice youth justice and not mm. juvenile justice, but nevertheless. Uh, so the, these, uh, these children and the trauma that they have suffered, and you know, uh, we all have uh, childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, some is more obvious than others. And many of our childhood trauma has been untreated. And so hurt people hurt people. And that's a real thing. And it, and it, 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 now there's a, a psychologist named Dr. Joy uh, DeGruy who talks about post-traumatic slave syndrome. And, and the theory being that um, um, descendants of enslaved people, which is different from descendants of slaves. You follow me? Yep. So, so that wording makes um, a difference. Yeah, word, wording makes a difference. And so descendants of enslaved people continue to um, re-traumatize themselves every day because they've never received treatment from the trauma mm -hmm. that their great, 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 great. And, and we pass it down at the dinner table every yeah. day. I know, I know stories of abuse that my mother and father their mothers and fathers, their mothers and fathers, and mm -hmm. their mothers and fathers, and unknowingly has traumatized us because we've never had reconciliation about that. Yeah. It makes Thus, me think of like the, the recent Juneteenth holiday that's exactly is like exactly. It, it's great that it happened, but that was like just making slavery illegal was like, man, you gotta <sighs> if even if it lasted for two hundred years, it would take maybe another two hundred years for people to recover from that and to Yeah, so work. I mean great, you know, without that raises another issue because, you know, you, you, not you, but you give me a holiday mm -hmm. and then you jump all over voting rights, mm -hmm. reparations. Mm. I mean, you know, on all the things that we're asking for, you know, sure. uh, response to police abuse, all these things we're asking sure. for, you give me a holiday. You know, I tell the kids, don't go for the pump fake, you know, don't, mm. don't, don't, don't leave your feet on the fence. You know, this is what you give me. You give me a holiday. I want voting rights. You give me a parade. I want to survive a police stop. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you know, yeah. so you, you give me things I didn't ask for. How, you know, great. Let's, you know, let's cook out. But what I really want is, is truth and justice and fairness. Um, so, 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 I mean, this, and you know, the trauma that we feel it's no difference between uh, descendants of the Holocaust and the trauma they have felt and continue to feel, or even better, how about how about the American Indian? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, if anybody has a claim for yeah. trauma, yeah, okay. I mean, the Trail of Tears and all of that. I mean, I mean, we live we live on their land. I mean, and and, and there's nothing legal about it because because it was stolen from them, and when they didn't want to sell, they were killed. And, 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 you know, uh, and, and the American Indian uh, lived in harmony with nature and they were one with the land. And, and, and we should all have adopted those kind of, you know, think what a different world if, if we had been, we, if, you know, if yeah, we had been more conciliatory about that. But no, you know, so now here we are. Yeah. Um, even just to think about, even like you just said, you, cor you corrected your pronouns because... It's, it's hard for you to identify with that part of American history uh, of what, you know, the white settlers did, uh, my, yes. my descendants uh, in that part, because you, you can't 
identify with that so much and, and floor so exactly. with you. Like, not so much. I'm going to recuse myself from the situation <laughs> because the passions run high about colonization. Okay. Okay. I mean, you know, so, you know, so when you talk about, when you talk about race in this country, I mean, it is, uh, it is a hot button issue. Mm. And um, which, you know, um, uh, and, uh, what's, what's the term? Uh, critical race theory. That's, that's the, you know, now, uh, here at, at uh, uh, juvenile court, um, youth court, right? Youth. Well, I say I can say juvenile okay. court because that's the official name. <laughs> okay, that's the you official know, name. All right. I can get away with that, you know. But but we realized that we had a huge disproportionality problem in that we had too many kids of color in the detention center mm. and too many kids of color in the child welfare system. So we said about trying to figure out what to do how do we how do we correct the, the disproportionality problem mm. so we contracted with a group out of new orleans called the people's institute for survival and mm. beyond and we had um uh workshops called undoing racism they created that undoing racism was the name of the workshop and so it, what it was, was it was about 30 to 40 people, male, female, uh, black and white, and you'd sit around in a circle, 1960s style. And we talked about white privilege, uh, white supremacy, uh, racism, uh, institutional bias, implicit bias, and, and all these collaterally related issues. It was a two day uh, workshop. Um, uh, that was life-changing for me hmm. uh, because uh, I thought until that time, I thought I was kind of an expert on what it was to be a black man. Hmm. I had no idea how much I did not know. Hmm. And, and so it, I was just blown away by the experience and by the discussions. And uh, the, the, the sessions we had were so raw um, Lots of white people left early because they couldn't handle it. Yeah. Uh, some of them were, were reduced to tears. And that, that blew me away. I mean, wow, you're going to, and you know, now, and some of the things we talked about, I have known since birth. There are many other things I did not know. Mm-hmm. And so I set about this own journey of, of discovery, and I'm on that journey as well. And um, the, 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 uh, having courageous conversations about race Um, and some white people are not ready to talk about it because they're uh, the term is what white fragility I I don't remember the the lady's name who wrote the book white fragility Robin D'Angelo D'Angelo yeah she she coined that term and um, and you know I mean when I think about when I think about the history of black people in this country and, and where we have come from and how fraught with danger the journey has been and where we're trying to get. And it just seems like uh, it, the, the, the more we go, the more difficult it, it becomes. I mean, you just look at the paper now, you see uh, all these uh, states now that are imposing restrictive uh, voting uh, mm-hmm. schemes. Um, so they're trying to um, 
you know, discourage, rather they're just trying to discourage voting. And uh, that is, a, you know, it's like, it's like, wow. I mean, it's, it's always something, you know, yeah. I mean, every day. I mean, the, the stress of being black. I mean, that's why we die earlier. Um, because the stress uh, of being black, the, 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 the microaggressions, I mean, mm. constant, constant, constant reminder, you know, nigger, nigger, nigger. I remember the first time I was called a nigger, uh, I was like six or seven years old. Wow. Um, Children's Museum used to have uh, field trips, uh, summer field trips. And those are the days when little kids would just go and you didn't have, you didn't need, you know, all these parental chaperones, you just go. So my mother being the intellect, my mother had two degrees, dad had zero. So mother had a master's degree in this, she was an <laughs> educator. So she thought it would be a great idea. And it was on paper, you know, to sign up for the children's museum because every day it was like daycare, you know, day camp, daycare. Every day we went to the museum and we spent a day doing all kinds of things. And then once a week we would take a field trip and we would go to all, all over the state. We'd ride in a bus. Well, one day, I'm on the bus and, uh, and, and I was always alone. I was the only black kid, but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I knew, but I didn't know. And then one day, uh, this kid in front of me said he hated to eat with niggers. And, uh, and oh, he's talking about me, you know, and uh, wow, that was just, uh, now that's an epiphany. You know, um, that's when I knew I was black because, you know, he called me a nigger. And uh, and even in such a dehumanizing way to say it in front of you, knowing full well that, like, you knew what it meant. And yeah, uh, but I mean, he was a little kid, though. And so I wonder, wow. Now, now I wonder what was going on in that guy's in that guy's yeah, home. home. No, you don't have to Where, wonder too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I'm, exactly right. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, my, my whole journey, you know, sort of began there and then uh now my my grade school was i think there was there was one or two white families and they were totally cool no one messed with them because they, we they grew up in the neighborhood and um, barbara and really nice people and so forth H high school was a little different mm -hmm. uh, this was uh i went to uh, uh high school john marshall uh 1971 and uh boy uh on the way i had a this was busing and so forth. So I had to, I had to bus out of my home district to another school, mm. uh, John Marshall. And on the way home, um, uh, white boys would hide in the, the, literally in the cornfields and they would rock the bus uh, to the point where we knew it, it, when we got to this certain block, you had, to, you had to put your head down because you know rocks were gonna come till. Wow. One day the bus driver stopped. Now there were there are always a few kids at school, a few bras that uh, school was just a was just a temporary kind of a thing, you know. And so these bras from the hood, you know, bus driver let them out, and so <laughs> a little homemade justice was dealt. I wasn't that, I wasn't that kid, you know. I was. Um, you know, I was bookmaster. You know, I had my books. I was, you, you, know, you stayed uh, on the bus. I was on the bus, man. I'm not getting out fighting. I wasn't even good with my hands. You know, oh, I could run my mouth with the best of them. But when it came down to fight, uh, 
not the kid, you know. So yeah. Well, well Judge Gaither, let's. Uh, I want to bring this discussion to a little bit of of talking about specifically what you see from church involvement based yeah. on your your seat. You're sitting there yeah. in in this this system. You see these cases come through every day. Yeah. Can you tell us, especially? Let me just start with like black churches. Like, what's the the regular involvement of black churches in the cases that you see? Oh, it's, um, we we have a great deal of faith based. Um, involvement. I, uh, I regularly uh, meet and talk with pastors. Uh, some of them were my mentors early on when I, uh, I've been on the bench since uh, 1995 as a magistrate. So uh, then I became a judge, um, full judge um, in uh, 2020. And the difference is uh, uh, judges are, for the most part, elected officials. Magistrates are hired by judges. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not much of a difference between what we do. Uh, theoretically, magistrates' decisions are approved by judges. That's about the extent of it. And we make a little more than magistrates. So um, uh, the faith-based community has, has, has had a long uh, relationship with, uh, with courts, specifically juvenile courts, uh, because they have a natural relationship in seeing the healthy growth and development uh, of children, mm. uh, providing mentoring services and things like that. Now, I will say this. Um, I don't see white churches doing that. Mm. Now, but we have a disproportionality problem because most of the kids in the system are black or children mm. of color, you know? Right now, we have uh, 59 children in the detention center. And I would say probably 52 of them are black males. Mm. Uh, and I mean, you know, but the Indianapolis, you know, uh, the black population in Indianapolis is somewhere between 17% or something like that. Yet, you know, 80% of the children in the detention center are black. Now, when you dig down deeper, though, and each and every one of them is here is either here for a possession of a firearm, uh, armed robbery, and, and, and with extreme cases of violence. And since I'm Certainly, you know, uh, one fourth of the number of judges here who uh, placed children in the detention center. I know that I'm not locking kids up because they're black. Uh, the decisions are really race neutral. Mm -hmm. um, and let me tell you how that works. So let me tell you how it works. And it's really, you know, let's say, let's say, for example, two kids are, are smoking marijuana. It's 15, they're 15 years old and it's midnight. They're smoking marijuana. Officer comes by. And, and stops them, officer decides to give them a break. White kids' parents are at home because they work jobs and it, you know, they're at home. Black kids' parents are not at home. So officer has to take the kid to the detention center for processing. Fast forward six months, same officer, same kids. This time he's gonna arrest them. The black kid is gonna be treated more harshly because he's been through the system before. Mm. And so race neutral decisions will have a racist outcome, not having anything to do with the race of the kid, more so than the socioeconomic background. Yeah. And that's how it works. That's how implicit and institutional bias works. You know, it's not because the child, no, well, there are some racist people that make not get there, but there, but if he gets treated differently because of these factors. And so when we decide to release or detain a kid, we have a set of factors. But 
bias has crept its way even to what factors you need and we use to consider whether whether to release or detain because mm -hmm. we have a a eurocentric theory of what is safe and it's taught in schools and we adopt it um i say something else in, in in the child welfare system you know children of color have the worst outcomes um they uh most often removed from the home uh taking longer to permanency more often to have multiple uh 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 placements, you know, less likely to be placed in a family setting. Why is that? Because by law, when we want to place a child, if we have removed a child from the home and we want to place a child with a family, we can't place a child if there are certain felony convictions by someone in the home. Well, uh, you know, ding, 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 ding. You know, for years, the black community has been over police. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not a whole lot of families that don't have someone in, the, in their family with a felony conviction, and especially these families that involve themselves in child welfare. So they don't have a whole lot of family members who qualify for placement. Obviously, there are, ex there are exceptions, but, but in the main, uh, we have to find uh, waivers and have to jump through hoops to place a child in the most family-like setting um, with a relative. Uh, and, and so once again, having nothing to do with their race, these uh, decisions have race-based uh, outcomes. So, but your question is, yes, I mean, the, the church is involved and we have partnerships with the court, well, I mean, with the uh, church on a variety of, of programs and services and opportunities. Uh, we do not see the white church here. Uh, that is a huge opportunity. Um, because the much larger issue of race uh, in this community and race in America, uh, we cannot, we, Black people, cannot do this on our own. I mean, you know, it's because what? We don't control any institutions. 99% uh, of the CEOs are white. 99% of, of, of presidents in this America are white. 95% of college presidents are white. 99% of bank owners are white. 95, you know, 80% uh, of all football coaches. Are, I mean, you know, you, you, get, you get my drift. Mm -hmm. we, we're not in control of any, any institution. We can't do anything. We can get loans to, to buy cars, but can't get loans to buy houses. You know, um, you can buy as much alcohol as you want, but try to go vote. You know, so there's all these institutions that work together that, 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 that uh, create obstacles for the healthy growth and development of the court. And so well, in, in a perfect world, uh, my white brothers and sisters who profess uh, love for Christ will stand up and say something because you cannot love the Lord and look and see how black people are suffering and remain silent. You can't do that. You, you can't go to church and read the Bible about the struggles that you see in, in the Bible. And then, you know, you, you, you call the white janitor a nigger behind his back. You, you, mm -hmm. can't, you know, you. And so, um, brother, where are thou? Um, mm -hmm. We need help. Uh, we're getting our ass kicked daily. 
and have been since 1619. You know, um, race continues to be a, a problem. And ask yourself, ask yourself, uh, when, did, when did race no longer become a problem? When, when did we stop living in a racist uh, uh, community, in a racist country? Was it 1950? 1960? You know, pick a time and, and tell me when it, it wasn't a problem. I mean, we can pick up the paper right now. I just spent a week, last week, I was part of the Indianapolis Bar Association, and we had our uh, annual conference in Louisville uh, in the home of Breonna Taylor. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, wow. I mean, everybody, you know, wow, wow. So, you know, I, 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 the black church has been there, maybe in the way that, that we wouldn't like, but, you know, uh, they're trying. I'm, I'm waiting for my blue-eyed, blonde-haired soul brothers and sisters uh, to join us in lockstep in, in this struggle because mm -hmm. we can't do this by ourselves. And, and, you know, because if we could, it would be done. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and we need help. We need allies. Um, and, 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 and that's why I started with saying this, you know, knowledge creates an obligation. And in law, knowledge it creates responsibility. You know, if you know, that creates an obligation to do something. And I feel it's the same way in spirituality. When you know, you should do something. Now, I'm, right. I'm the last person to, to quote Bible, Bible verses, but I wear a little, uh, one of my, uh, can you see that? No, you can't see. One of the, yeah, <laughs> one of my name. Uh, yeah, there you go. Isaiah, let me see. Can, can you see? Oh. 117. <laughs> I see it. Yeah. Isaiah chapter one, verse 17. And what it talks about is uh, basically widows and orphans, you know, defend the fatherless, the, the fatherless. Uh, pick up the cause of the widows. Now that's what we do with juvenile court. Mm. Uh, we speak for widows. We speak for children without fathers. Who speaks for the black community? Hmm. That's you know, a we, super challenging thought that you're proposing. It is, and 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 you know it's uh, it's it's a terrible burden because the more I read, the more I see, the more I know, the more I hurt, mm. and and. You know, not and notwithstanding the the dangers and and the evils that we perpetrate among ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, but as a community, and if 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 we don't band together and help each other, uh, what's the future? Now, mm -hmm. let me just say this: uh, as best as I can tell, um, and depends upon the depths of your spirituality, the first recorded homicide was when Cain slew Abel, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we've been struggling ever since. Mm. Presumably, there has been some kind of an effort to solve domestic violence and, and all of these things that that singular act uh, represented. Mm -hmm. And here we are, let's say uh, more than 2,021 years later, we are still wrestling with those same issues that exist in the family of Adam and Eve. What does that suggest? And I, my conclusion is that uh, spirituality uh, 
is in the journey and not in the destination mm. because the destination uh, does not exist. There is no ending, you know, perhaps when we're no longer um, up in this earthly realm. Um, but this, the problems that we face um, must be addressed and challenged and dealt with. Mm. I don't think we're going to get to a point of resolution. I just don't, you know, that's perhaps when we walk with the Lord in heaven, then we'll, that will be resolution then. You know, life mm -hmm. everlasting, when peace passes all understanding, world without end. So, um, mm -hmm. it would be helpful if if our brothers and sisters on, on all sides of the aisle could would rise up and look at this as a cause. I'm I'm always curious about white um, evangelicals and their and their support of uh, Donald Trump. And um, I'm not making a political statement, but I'm just how can you do that? Um, what that 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 man did not, um, and I'm not talking about. I'm, I'm not even talking about. I'm not talking about politics. But there are, um, be, because there's nothing wrong with being conservative. That is certainly sure. not a conservative black people. I'm not talking about that. But there were a lot of things about them that had nothing to do with politics. Just um, morality. Morality, and and I don't, and and you know, I mean, remember, you know, a couple of years ago, the phrase was, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, what, what would Jesus do? I mean, what would he have the church do? And, and I mean, for mm -hmm. years, the church should have been about the least of us. Yes. And, and, and so children and families are struggling. And, and why should it matter how much melanin uh, is, in their, is, in, is in their skin? Mm. Um, Isaiah 117, pick up the cause defend the fatherless. It didn't say defend black kids, you know, that be, so uh, if you ask me, I mean, I, I would, you know, it took me an hour to get to the point, but <laughs> hey, we got it. I, I actually want to make fire a, hoses here. <laughs> yes, we are. And I want to make a comment. I'm going to bring up something that you said earlier, because yes, I, uh -huh. I find it really interesting. We've talked about white fragility. We've talked about how an Eurocentric uh, ideology has informed uh, several of our processes and, and gotten yes. to, you know, the, uh, the systems that rule our world and the code of law. We've talked about um, ignorance is bliss, but knowledge creates moral obligation. And, and yes. earlier you were describing the Bible. And, and I feel like in the white evangelical, evangelical context, if I ask some of my brothers and sisters in, in, the, in the church that I attend, you know, what in three words define the Bible, probably the things that they will say will be grace, redemption, salvation. When you brought up the topic of the Bible in, your, in the context of your story of salvation, what you found in the Bible was instead described uh, first as struggle, oh, yeah. determination. And yeah. I wonder, are we, are these disparities in between the white and the black church in America within, you know, uh, the body of Christ, uh, a little bit misinformed in our ideology or our idea of Christ? The image that we have? Of, oh, yes. Yes, Floor. I mean, the, the, the most segregated time in American life is on Sunday. Mm. That is the, I mean, you know, in the main, I mean, there, there are lots of, let's call it blended churches, okay? But in the main, either the church is all white or the church is all black. 
and then there are some churches where you you have ink drops, okay, or or smatterings, and then you get you you have some churches that that full on blended. But how many? That's not that's not the the dominant religious experience that we have on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, church across the street, Galilee. Their pastor just passed away, Pastor Fitzhugh Lyons, who was one of my early mentors. You know, I mean, he, he is, is what I'm considered to be a typical Baptist church. 100% black and has been for years. Any other church you go to. And so, and so, yes, yes. You know, now I'm the last person. And this is where Pastor G needs to come in because I, I, you know, I didn't study world religions, although two of my children went to Catholic high schools and, and they have a much better uh, worldview than, than daddy. <laughs> um, uh, I just know what I know. Uh, yeah, what 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 the what the pastor preaches every Sunday is 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 the sum total of their religious experiences mm. and their interpretation of the Bible. And and when you have a black congregation, you can't talk about. I mean, I mean because the history of our survival in this country is one of struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, there isn't a single thing that we have received that was just sort of given to us gratis without somebody dying. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the history of the Supreme Court is fraught with all these cases in which rights were gained and victories were gained mm-hmm. by black people. But I mean, what, look, look what had to happen in order to get there. And it, and 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 the challenges that and the forces that were aligned against us to prevent that from happening, um, the Dred Scott decision and and, and all of those cases, um, uh, you know, where was the church then? Um, mm-hmm. and, and and just on and on and on. I mean, the Thirteenth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, the Fifteenth Amendment, you know, Jim Crow. I mean, you know, so uh, the history. Of black people um, has been missing um, its white allies. Now, certainly in the, the modern civil rights, and I call it the modern civil rights movement with uh, Martin Luther King, there were, the, uh, you would see, certainly in, in photographs, you see the presence of white pastors and white congregations. But that was that was not the norm. I mean, those, those people, I take my hats off them. I mean, that was real courage. That was real courage uh, to step out in support of Martin Luther King, or, or I mean, if you really want to go there, those those white churches that were in support of Falcon X. And then that was that you were really playing with uh, with fire if, if to stand um, uh, in lockstep with him. First, he didn't want you there because you know you were the the, the, you know, the white devils and whatnot, but there were still some churches that dared to uh, uh, be supportive. And so, I mean, so my, my, my spirituality is, 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 is one of evolution. And because it's a fair question, I mean, to ask the Lord, uh, why is it that, that me, we must suffer in this way? Why, why are we the chosen ones. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, why? Um, you know, um, 
but I mentioned before that, that we're the sum total of, of the decisions that somebody else has made. Our whole ex mm -hmm. existence is really because what somebody else said or did. Um, but but uh, no, nobody's made a, a stronger stuff because um, mm -hmm. we are survivors. I Amen. Mean, we we yeah. survived capture in West Africa. We survived uh, uh, the slave castles. We survived the Middle Passage. We've survived X years of slavery. We survived segregation and Jim Crow. Uh, and, and here we are. Um, boy, what a different ride it would have been if the white church had been there. And I know John Brown and abolitionists, but still, mm. uh, what, what a different ride it may have been mm. if, if they had been a stronger uh, presence. Yeah. Uh, Judge Gaither, I'm, I'm coming back to something you said at the beginning, just to close out this this podcast of uh -huh. you use the phrase sins of excess and sins of absence uh, yes. when you were talking about that. And I'm I'm feeling that um, as as a white man of of both those being guilty of in, in many yeah. ways, the sin of excess of excess wealth, of excess security, of excess safety, um, putting up walls uh, around um around us to make sure that we didn't have to deal with a lot of this stuff. And then the sin of absence, like you said, like, where, where did everybody go? Like where, who's, who's helping us out here when, when we're in the middle of this situation. So um, that, 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 that's hitting me hard. Yeah. Well, you know what? Okay. You know, wow. We, we could probably talk another, uh, another segment about that because <laughs> what I was talking about uh, were missing black fathers right yeah i, I, I wasn't transposed this in my own situation about, i wasn't yeah. talking about you bro hey if yeah. the shoe fits yeah yeah Ooh. you know the guilty mind speaks first you know it, you know i was i was talking about um the the, the lack of responsibility of a black men who have babies and don't take responsibility their sense of absence yeah and and the sense of excess were uh, drugs and, and alcohol and these you know these ills that perp that are perpetrated on our community by us um, yes uh, you can take some take some yeah and, yeah and but you it, should. It's, it, it's easy for me to say yeah the problem is these these black men need to the man up and do their job yes but that's that's not the solution like no. that's, that's no. once that's one thing yeah yeah, they, that can be. And happening. I understand. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I, I can see it. I mean, like, like I know a kid. Uh, God, he's probably 30 something now, but he was 16 years old. He had six children oh, wow. when he was 16. Wow. Okay? He had six children when he was 16. And he sat in my court smiling. I wanted to slap the blank out of him because there was absolutely nothing funny. Because he brought six lives into this world that he is not going to be able to take take care of. Now maybe he has, but not at sixteen. You can't even take care of yourself. And then on an interesting side note, his mother did slap him in the back of the head because she knew about four and she didn't know about the other two. And I'm wow. like, I'm just, you know, wow. I mean, first I'm like, dude, you got six. I only got, you know, I only got three, and I'm married with a good job. You know, you just, yeah. dude, you got six kids, and I'm, I'm, I'm blown away because I know what it means to be a father, and yeah. I know what it means to take care of children. And you got six kids, 
So Lord knows how many he has now. So yes, sins of the absence, you know, yes, sins of excess. Everybody who's guilty, take some, you know, wear it, yeah. do something, you know, so uh, yeah. So I'm go. super grateful for this conversation today, Judge, yeah. uh, because uh, we've definitely explored a new area for this podcast. I think we, we you bring a unique perspective to us uh, being so close to the realities that um, quite frankly, the majority of us in the, in the white evangelical context don't have proximity to. And now that we cannot claim ignorance, right? Oh, man. Now you are convicting us to- It's to... no longer available to you. I'm sorry. Yes, now we have to act on that moral obligation. Now you have to do something. The challenge is, is that for us now today is to- Well, here, let me, let, me give you, let me give you some instructions. Here, here's what you can do. You ready? I'm ready. Got it. Pen. Got I got pen. it. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. It's not rocket science. You don't have to recreate the wheel. You can see need. This is what I tell kids. You can see the dishes are dirty. Wash them. You can see the trash needs to be taken out. Take it out. You can see things that need to be done. There is something, there are some things that you can do. You can't do everything, but there are, are some things that you can do. You as an individual, or you as a body of Christ, you as a church member, there are some things you can do to help your brother, to help your sister. Mm -hmm. uh, be true to yourself. I'm not asking you to go outside of your way to do that, but there are some things you can do, you know? And, and first, like physician, heal thyself. Start with, start with your own church. Start, start at home and branch out. Is everybody in your church well? You know, there's, there's, there's a tribe in Africa called the Maasai. And they greet themselves. I don't have the exact African dialects. So I'm not going to embarrass myself or be disrespectful. But they greet themselves by saying, basically, how are the children? Hmm. Because mm -hmm. they know if the children are well, then the family, the family is, is well. well. If the family is well, then the community is well. If the community is well, then the village is well. And, and, and so forth and so. So, uh, how are your children? Okay. And, and I'm just theoretically, how are your children? Are they well? Is, are the children in your family, are they well? Are the children in your community, are they well? Are the children in your church, are they well? And so let's start at home because we, it's, like, it's like throwing uh, a pond, uh, a, a, a pebble in a pond. And the ripple effect, you know, mm -hmm. so you don't have to go all the way to some village in Africa and try to do something over there and, and adopt kids. You don't have to do that. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. You know, the good Lord has blessed everybody with gifts and talents. Mm. Um, do you know what yours are? Now, I, I, I created... 
uh, empowerment conferences for boys and girls. We've been doing this since about 2014, separately. Cool. And so, and, 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 and the way it is, it's, it's a real conference. Just like you go to professional conferences, we do this for kids in the system. We, we have a morning session and we have workshops. We have lunch, free lunch and t-shirts and, and, and swag bags. And so the workshops are on, um, like a couple of years ago, we had one called Project Runway, where girls learn how to put outfits together, how to walk and, and, a, and a community presence. We had, we had uh, Cake Boss. So I, I had a chef come in and teach kids how to cook and bake and whatnot. So they had a bake-off, a baking contest. I had uh, a session, girls learn how to box, you know, boxing, had a local uh, fifth degree black belt, show, you know, self-defense techniques. Boys, we did education and, and sports, uh, career readiness and, and, and electronics and all these things. So, um, um, ah, I forgot where I was, where I was going with that. Um, so we, uh, but you used what you had where you were at. Yeah, I was, uh, and you did what you could. Do what you can. Yeah, I forgot where I was going. I had a much lower. I'll think about it in the middle of the night, you know. That's, that's <laughs> well, you know, that's a good call thing. Us up. Yeah. Yeah, that's because we want to continue our conversations with you. You're not oh, okay, done yeah, with that. Yeah. yeah. I, so, you know, I got I got I got more. You know, I got we, we will continue to reach out to you. Judge Gaither, this has been great to to get your insight. Like like Flora said, we don't get a chance to, to really hear some from someone like you from these yeah. perspectives. So thank you so mm -hmm. much for coming on the show. We really appreciate sure. it and for sharing everything with us. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. See you guys later. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. Please check us out on your favorite podcast streaming platform and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss any more episodes. We got a lot more coming up. Converge is a production of Common Ground Northeast. You can reach us at justice at cgnortheast.org. Thanks a lot for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to Converge, a production by Common Ground Northeast. If you like what you hear, or if you're willing to get uncomfortable in this conversation with us, please click on that follow or subscribe button. And if you want to share your comments or feedback with us, feel free to email us anytime at justice at cgnortheast.com. Until next time.